Hello, and welcome back to the Rain Night Radio. I hope you are relaxed and comfortable. The world around you sounds a nice quiet as you put your earbuds in and begin to listen. I'm making this podcast as my summer is coming to a close. I'm taking the daring step from the riverbank of unstructured time to the rushing stream of life and all its responsibilities that follows. Today's topic is childhood and the passage of time, and I hope that some of what is discussed will better help you relish in life's silence and see the beauty that surrounds us but is often missed. I often lose track of time myself, so you'll be able to see this podcast as it needs to be split into two separate sections, parts one and two. So please, sit back, grab a warm beverage, grab some friends, potentially, and enjoy Rain Night Radio. Today we have a very special guest on the Rain Night Radio, one of my very close friends and a very wise man, if I do say so myself, Miles Gantcher. Miles, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Um, so today, Miles and I will be talking over a variety of things, but mostly, Miles came to me with this topic about childhood and the passing of time. And I feel like that's especially relevant during the summer because that's just like such a long stretch of unstructured and like summers as a child, especially were just like some of the most like the largest childhood memories, wouldn't you say, Miles? Yeah, no, I totally agree. But also, like when I was, I remember growing up and feeling like summer was sort of this like there was school and then there was summer, and there were sort of like these equal parts of my brain and now it feels like I spend my entire year in school and then I get to summer and then it just zips by and then I'm back in school again mm-hmm. and uh yeah I don't know I, I mean it's already already been a month of this I can't really believe it yeah me neither especially now with, with COVID like sort of fading into the background it feels like everything is just sort of picking up speed and time is really racing ahead Mm-hmm. And it's especially strange throughout the COVID time because time just flew by before I knew it. it some weird, unstructured sort of feel. I feel like it's sort of unprecedented, like the, the way time felt during that period. I, I've never experienced time before, like, flowing by in that particular way. I don't know if it's the same for you, but when I think back to it, the year just went by so quickly um, after COVID struck. And it just like no, I, I totally agree. Like um, when when COVID sort of started, I didn't realize what was going on exactly, but I sort of noticed that the time ahead of me felt very, very long, and sort of like I was gonna have to labor to get through it. But 
the time that had already passed felt like, you know, the blink of an eye. I mean, I remember taking walks in, like, April and realizing that it had already been a month or six weeks of being locked in my house and not really being able to process that. And I think, and I don't know, I'll bring this up later, definitely, but I think part of what that is is sort of the way we calibrate time in our heads has so much to do with the way we make memories and I think I was just forming so few new memories and having so few new experiences every day that even though I knew how long it was going to be till we were out of this whole nightmare I I didn't really have any way of sort of recalling how long it had already been and so it felt like it had just zipped by yeah for sure especially without certain like landmark experiences like um I was watching something the other day that I found very interesting. It was some guy talking about how, like, your life in general, how, you, how like, people seek out some specific, um, specific, like, goals or, like, certain things in their life, and they want their life to be a certain way, and they, like, envision, like, some people's lives as just being days of doing extraordinary things every day. But life really is just about a few good days, and a bunch of just, like, regular routine days. But the thing I felt about COVID, there was no, like, spectacular landmark, like, days out of the ordinary that would really, like, make... Those days are what really makes up your year. Those are, like, what creates your memories. Those are what makes time have a certain feel to it, have a certain texture. And without it, it's just, like, some muddled soup without any, like, you know, without any grains inside. you're totally right I really I think that's a very good analogy because whenever I think of summer I think of it as sort of almost too much of a good thing right like you've got Mm -hmm. this long weekend that sort of you were just describing it like stretches out into eternity and then in some ways you're like you, you know it's not that you want to go back to work but I think people need this sort of regularity and part of why they need it is because it sort of makes it makes time normal instead of going in these like sporadic leaps and jumps uh if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense yeah that makes a lot of sense so one question i was wondering from you miles when you suggested childhood and the passing of time is it was that directly because of summer really like or influenced by covid or was there just um like some feeling, like, some reminiscence, um, or some, like, I don't know, looking back at childhood and all of that, is is there some feeling of, like, the current events, or just looking back that made you think of that topic? You know, it's so interesting talking about childhood at this age, because you're sort of being told that you are almost an adult, and you feel like you're almost an adult, but... And I I have this weird nostalgia for when I was younger, which seems ridiculous because I am still so young and, like, those those experiences are so close. So I guess part of why I brought it up was COVID and part of why I brought it up was summer. But I also was interested in having these feelings of nostalgia at such a young age. And, And, like, what is nostalgia, really? I mean, why is it so prevalent? Why do we feel such a, like, golden tint to our our past 
I find that really interesting. Mm-hmm. I feel like nostalgia can be both very motivating in a lot of ways. Like, for example, well, actually, I feel like nostalgia can be a double-edged sword. Like, it helps motivate me to, like, not just sit around all day because I think to myself, I think, oh, with my childhood, for example, I had no phone when I couldn't just, like, sit around watch tv for a lot of the day or do some other lazy shit that like i come to do now as a teenager i was like making all these magical memories and i'm now so nostalgic for that experience i feel like i can never get back and i think about it i'm like oh well i can get it back i i'm just not living the same way i used to but the double-edged sword of that part is like time in the past is so romanticized that you can look back at what's before and not really see what's in front of you. You know what I mean? Um, I do know what you mean. And I think part of what what happens is that, like, I, I try to remind myself that when I was a kid, I there were a lot of things that I had that were not great. You know, I didn't have, like, the freedom that I have now. If you, like, stub your toe, you just kind of cry. You don't know what to do. Like, it's yeah. not... You know, it's not all fantastic, but I do think, and if you take, like, in, if you talk to anyone who does classics at all, they'll basically shove etymologies down your throat, but one of my favorites is the etymology of nostalgia is the pain of going home, which I think is sort of very telling. Yeah. Because it it is this sort of double-edged sword. And I remember, um, I, I worked at the preschool this summer, the preschool that I, I went to when I was three and four. And it is, there's something very sort of sad about it because, I don't know, I have such like formative memories of this place. And now, like, it's very nice to be there, but it also does sort of uh, sting a little bit to be sort of like sitting in this, this place that doesn't really, I don't really belong in it anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And do you ever just, like, look back and wish you could return to that childhood, like, almost innocence, you know, where you had no real worry, no stress, no ego, all of the certain things that I feel like are built up in us so much today. And I feel like as a child, you were so free in a lot of ways from, like, the troubles of your mind as your mind matured and became more complex. Um it came with more problems yeah. too. You know, that's the question, right? I mean, if you could give up your your knowledge, I mean, ignorance is bliss, would it be worth it? I do think that is sort of nostalgia tricking you, though, because I, I don't think it actually is that great to be a child. I mean, working at the preschool, one thing you notice is that they, like, pee all over themselves all the time. They're constantly <laughs> crying. They get in fights. They, like, fall they're just, they're covered in, like, scabs, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I mean, it's a good time, but it's it's not so easy, we just remember the good things, yeah. and one of the things that's really interesting about working at the preschool is that the kids have a really wild conception of time, mm-hmm. um, like, you'll talk to them, if you say, in five minutes, they'll say, how long is that, you say, in an hour, they'll say, how long is that, they don't really know the difference I when I said when I left them like the, at the last day of camp I was sort of saying my goodbyes and most of them were like I'll see you soon a couple of them said I'll see you in summer um, and you know they don't even really understand the weekend yeah. so I, I don't know I think that's really interesting the way that like 
we don't really, as kids, we sort of, part of our innocence, I think, is not really understanding time and, like, how much of it stretches out in front of us and, and what it's like to sort of go through it. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, time as a child is so different than time today and how you perceive it. Like, um, I was talking about this a bit on my last podcast with Dash, um, the boredom one. I feel like in today's society, time is almost like a currency um, when you get older. And there's something beautiful about when you're younger and you don't feel like you need to fill up and spend all your time. Like, it's some valuable resource. You're able to, like, let moments drag on and just live in the present. No, you're so right. I mean, the, like, quantification of time, I think, is so damaging. Like, I'll have moments where I, where I'm like, oh, if I just set my alarm five minutes earlier, then I can get five extra minutes of being on the train, but then I don't sleep five minutes. So, like, what if I'm one minute late to this thing? <laughs> and, you know, that's all a human construct. I mean, sure, time is, is a real thing. Well, time is is not disconnected from humanity is my point and we sort of create our own ideas of time and there's there's something really sort of damaging i think about like putting it into these these blocks of like an hour and 15 minutes and and you're going to be late for something or you're going to be early or you have to sleep nine hours mm-hmm. but really I don't know, just it's so stressful all the time yeah do you have specific methods you use to make the most out of your day um, and to kind of break that? Um, you know, like how during COVID your days would kind of go into like a, a weird, like mushy state in which nothing would really happen um, or more like it wouldn't be memorable and the time would pass by very quick. Um, do you have any methods you have to make the time feel like um, memorable and like it's really happening and to be in the present? Well, I try as little as possible to think about the sort of, like, impending things that I have to do. And there are so many impending things because just of the way it is to be in high school or just to be, you know, not a child anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of, like, I don't know, living in the moment is is not thinking about the future as much as possible. But at the same time... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I can really relate to people who who sort of feel like, oh, YOLO, like I'm only going to, you're only going to get this your teenage years once. Mm-hmm. But I personally, I feel like every year of my life since I turned, I don't know, 13 has been better than the last one. Yeah. So I'm sort of content to let the future come at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, if yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. I mean, sense. what do you do? Um, so pretty much what I do, um, to, like, make time drag on, you know how before we were saying how, like, time's become so much of, like, a currency and how you kind of, like, with so many people you, like, feel the need to make the most out of it, um, but, like, not in the way of, like, I need to make the most out of my time, but, like, I need to use my time as, like, a valuable resource to either get stuff done, like, um, make money, or, um you know, like, play some game on your phone to not, like, have a moment of silence. I Well, one thing I've started doing recently, which has really helped, is I've gone on walks where I just power off my phone or leave it at home. That's one essential thing, even if, like, even if it seems like such a small thing, just to have your phone gone and not keep track of time 
it's very like helpful with that um like and going out so i go on a walk i have my phone gone or off and then i just like walk for as long as i feel like i need to or i like want to um without like putting any end to it or like saying a certain time to like go back you know what i mean um yeah and it's no, like i think it's, yeah, no, sorry, keep going. it's like kind of like looking after yourself to some degree and like like just letting your body tell you what it needs you know what i mean by going outside and letting your body's internal clock tell you when it's done and when it's like soaked in the time outside and like that experience that's a lot more helpful i find than like going out saying okay i may go for 15 minutes or like don't say a destination that's also important from what i found like destinations are great but if you like said destination you're just going somewhere and going back and i feel like part of the important thing in what like i've done at least for me is just like the wandering without saying a clock on it you know i think that's so great and this idea of like internal clocks i really i really subscribe to because your body really knows how time works mm-hmm. and your body you know if we lived in a world where we didn't have all this electric light and and etc. Your body would go to bed at the same time every day and wake up at the same time every day. And you know, like sometimes I'll wake up two minutes before my alarm for three days in a row, just because my body knows what time it is. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, there's a million other things. Like for instance, if you there was a study that was done, or I mean, it's probably been done a bunch of times, but you can flashlight on and off at a regular amount of time let's say 20 seconds and a person's pupils will dilate and then they'll they'll contract Mm -hmm. and if you turn off that light you stop flashing it it will keep dilating and contracting at the same frequency so it's like it remembers that 20 seconds or 30 seconds and Mm -hmm. so your body knows how time works and I just think what we end up doing in like in America in capitalism and whatever is we force your body to sort of live in this really unnatural world of time that it doesn't belong in. You know, your body like it doesn't want to be up until one in the morning writing a paper. Your body doesn't want to be like running late to things. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't want to do that. So, yeah, yeah I, yeah, I totally know what you're saying. And in some ways, I feel like people even take up their time to escape certain things in their life or even, like, escape finding a purpose for their life, if you know what I mean. Like, I feel like our lives are, like, so ambiguous and you, like, know so little that I feel like for some people to find meaning, they, like, try and, like, cram in and, like, take up um, so much of their times and, like, plan it out because that makes them feel in control or feel like they're really using their time as best as they can. Like, maybe they don't know where they're going in life, but they know they're doing certain things, they know they're filling up their time. And I think that when you when you live like that, where you just structure everything, mm-hmm. and you sort of plan everything out, your sort of, your world becomes, adapts to that. And then the way you sort of live is it's, it's structured, it's regulated. And I think there's something, I mean, people need structure and they need repetition. And I don't think, I'm not trying to knock that. But I do think what you're saying about like sort of using the passage of time and like very regulated intervals as an excuse to not 
to not live or to not sort of do the things you want to do is, is really common. And I found myself doing that. Like sometimes I'm like, well, I, I want to do this thing. And I want to, I don't know, I'm just sort of feeling listless, but I have these assignments to do. So maybe I'll just do them now because I know when they're due. And if I get that out of the way, then I'll, then, then I'll have free time. And there's like such a concept of free time. Yeah. Like, oh, time where I don't have to do anything. But of course, by the time I'm done with this thing, there's always another thing that I could be doing. And then in the future, I'll have more free time. And so I really do find myself sometimes doing things so that I can do things, so they can do things, so that like one day in the next two weeks, I'll have free time. And, and I, don't know, I don't know. I think it's really important. Yeah, yeah. So, I think that's very true. Like one thing you've like brought up a lot is like being in the present moment and the importance of that so like so often your mind's either absorbed in the past or in the future either with planning out for the future which can be helpful to some extent or fearing for the future which can be harmful of course in a lot of ways due to worry um or in the in the opposite direction looking back at the past with either regret or, like, um, wishing for what you had before, I guess, um, like, regret, like, sure, um, nostalgia is, like, another example of that, and it's so essential, I feel like, to instead of looking towards the future and seeing some, like, bright and glowing goal and being like, okay, this is happiness, I need to do this to get here, like, for example, when you're like, oh, I'm gonna work, then I'm going to get my free time, and your free time's like that glowing greatness up ahead, and you're like, I'm going to trudge through what I need to get through to get to that, like, um, beautiful land, you know, like some holy land you're going to, but being in the present is like enjoying the process, and like, even if you're in the middle of some boring work, like, you can't just you can't disregard the time you're living, you know what I mean, to trudge on to some future goal. You kind of have to appreciate, like, where you are at the moment. Yeah, that's so right. And and just what you said about being afraid of the future, I think is really true. Um, I have a friend who wrote an essay about sort of being afraid of the dark and how that really ties into being afraid of the unknown. And I think mm-hmm. the same thing is true of the future. You know, why are pe- like, people are afraid of the future because you, you don't know what's going to happen and in some ways it feels like you can't control it. And then I think the response is to try to control time by sort of regulating it and putting it in these boxes. And I think that just to go back to childhood, one of the things that's really freeing about being a child and not having the same conception of time is that you don't really, you don't have anything to be afraid of. You don't have any future to be afraid of because you are just living in the present, mm. you know? I mean, I know kids who are like in preschool who, because they're, they've just turned three, you know, they can't even remember anything up until like a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. They maybe remember one time they went away on vacation. They remember a TV show they watched, but they don't. They don't really remember things in the context of time. They know that they're going to be older someday, but everything in front of them just feels so, like, unimaginably big. Like, I, I was, I asked the kid how old I was, and he was like, I think you're 84. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, fair enough, because these, you don't, they don't understand yeah, what the yeah. future even means, and so they have nothing to be afraid of. That's so true. And also when you were a kid, one thing I found crazy recently, when you're a kid, you look up at people older than you and you're like, wow, it's like 
wow, that's so amazing. They're so different. It's like they're almost like a different species, like a whole different type of person. And I feel like being a teenager, one of the most shocking things is you're like, wow, like all these people around me who all my life I like respected or like knew um, like and thought they had everything together. They just like are so similar to me and like so many people are just like hiding hiding like how they don't know things like so many people are just as unsure as you are when you're a kid you have like your parents and you have like other adults in your life and it's like they know everything and they can control everything and becoming older is realizing no they're literally just you they're just you like a couple years away um and the only difference is time you've lived it's not like they were born as, like, a wiser, like, more in-control person. They've just spent more time on this earth. Um, and, like, a lot of the time, they're just like a child, too. They just are, like, putting on the front, like, the mask of control. No, I think that's such a good point. And, you know, I grew up with two teachers as parents. Mm-hmm. And being a teacher, part of being a teacher is you have to get the kids to believe that you just know more than them. I'm not saying it's not true, but part of that is just putting on this show of being just sort of different types of people. Then when you're a parent, you know, your child always looks up to you and always thinks that you sort of are an inherently different being from them. You know, Mm -hmm. they're a child, you're a parent. And I, I was sort of wondering, like, at what point do I become just intellectually and equal to my parents? It's not when I turn 18. That feels ridiculous. Is it when I turn 25, when my brain fully develops? I don't know. Am I ever going to be, you know? Yeah, that's so true. And I feel like some part of you always, like, views your parents, or I feel like will view your parents as, like, something, like, so much, like, more capable and, like, intellectually. And, like, they always, like, in some ways seem to know what they're doing. Totally right. And I think also that, like, I don't know, there's something about, like, you want that, you mm-hmm. know? Like, it's it's kind of comforting to believe that your parents are are sort of different from you and yeah. that you're not, they're not all just people. Yeah, that's kind of what's very interesting, I find, like, linking it back to childhood. As a child, you really have the ability to have your parents, like, control everything for you and like act as like some all-knowing like controlling figure who knows what they're doing and you can take comfort in that and one thing i find interesting is when people grow older a lot of people turn to religions like christianity judaism maybe hinduism where they worship some god that's like all-knowing caring for them in control to give them that same sort of like feeling they had feeling of protection and understanding they had when they were a child and they had parents who could do that for them because then when they no longer have their parents and they have to figure things out on their own i find it's comforting for people like think of there being some figure who knows what they're doing um like gives them some purpose and like is in control no you're so right and i think there's that sort of like parental figure aspect to it But one of the really interesting things to me about a lot of these, like, Abrahamic religions is this idea of heaven and eternity. Because, and, you know, certain things, like The Good Place, I don't know if you've seen it, I'm not a huge fan, they talk about this idea of sort of you, 
there's this like you get to heaven and then you have everything you could ever want forever and maybe if you're a sort of farmer starving in whatever the Levant that's an appealing idea but something about that seems kind of horrible to me like endless everything yeah something about endlessness seems seems really I don't know really boring yeah yeah um, what's very interesting for that in contrast, like Christianity, I feel like, where there's the belief of heaven, um, yeah. I feel like people are always like praying to God in want of something, um, like asking for like success, asking for like help, um, asking for aid and in turn their like highest point, their heaven, um, where they're aiming to go to is like a perfect all-encompassing place where you have everything right um yeah whereas in buddhism buddhists like one of the f- largest buddhist beliefs is that um desire is pain you know what i mean craving more yeah. is what like pain human existence is pain and desire is pain and for them, the highest point of being, like, the heaven equivalent Buddhism of where you're trying to achieve is nothingness. It's, like, where your soul is sucked into a void, nirvana, um, where it reaches a state where it, like, experiences nothing. It's a feeling of neutrality and just, like, nothing at all. The escape from desire. Um, and I find that very interesting in contrast with the two religions, with Christianity being in terms of wanting everything and, like, in turn, their, like, greatest place being where you have everything. Um, where in Buddhism, it's being content and reaching contentment. And once you reach that high-up point of perfect contentment, um, you go to the nirvana state after death instead of reaching reincarnation. And that state is practically embodied intent- contentment because you just have nothing. It's like a neutral state. No, that's such a good point. And this idea of like, so I was just listening to this other podcast, Ezra Klein, he's sort of this interviewer and he was, he's a big fan of Galbraith and the affluent society. And one of the things Galbraith talks about is this idea that advertisement creates desire and that the reason we live in this world where we're all working all the time and all stressed, we want more and more and more, is because all these desires have been sort of manufactured in us. And he's, this guy he's talking to is contrasting it with these hunter-gatherer societies where obviously they don't have advertising, but they really don't want for much at all. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they don't want for things because you know they've got the productive capacity of an enormous nation. It's because they have they are content, and I think the and because they're content, they have a totally different conception of time than we do. Because we think of time very regimented, like it keeps flying past us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But hunter gatherers don't really have these oral histories often, especially immediate return hunter gatherers, and they don't really think about time in this way of like it's going to catch up to us, it's going to mm-hmm. race past us. We need to segment it, and they work a lot less. And I think there's a real connection there between what you believe eternity would be like and how content you are in the present. And, you know, if you believe that the sort of goal of life, the life you really live, should be to sort of get more and to, like, beat time in its own game and to just amass wealth, I think your ideal eternity would be sort of 
this imagined world where you can live in your in the sort of excesses that you've accrued. Kind of mm-hmm. like this idea of you work a ton now and then and then you retire, or you work now and then you get to have your free time. But I think there's also something to be said for Buddhism and and these hunter gatherer societies being a lot more content to live in the moment and maybe mm-hmm. detach themselves from material things. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, very interesting points. Very true. I agree with that. Um, like, people have seen also how happiness doesn't correlate to wealth directly. I mean, sure. Well, here's the thing. When you when you have nothing, like no wealth at all in modern society, that's like, it's very difficult to be happy when you lack the certain necessities of life. But once you reach like that, like, once you get enough wealth to survive fairly well, anything above that doesn't increase your happiness all that much. Um, in terms of like people have seen America, which is such a wealthy country, being far less happy than a lot of other countries in the world where they're not so like um, focused on capitalizing off of every single moment of one's time. And they more they more really like care about like it's it's really the countries with like tight knit communities and like where people like really talk to each other one on one. I feel like there's some coldness, some real coldness and hatred like held in America and like all these capitalist countries um, where time is like so monetized. And when that is released in certain countries where like everything's more free and people are more in the present moment, it creates a much happier environment. There's a, there's an anecdote. Uh, wait, can you hear me? Okay, Jasper. Yeah, I can. You're breaking up a little, but I can hear you in general. Okay, so there's an anecdote from the end of David Graeber's book on death, where he talks about a missionary talking to an indigenous, I think Sri Lankan, and the Sri Lankan is sort of lying on the beach, and he, the missionary says, "What are you lying on the beach for?" you could be out farming coconuts. And the guy says, why would I farm coconuts? Something like this. Why would I farm coconuts? Well, then you could sell the coconuts for a profit and then you could expand your enterprise. You could hire more farmers. He says, why would I do that? Well, then eventually you could hire hire as many farmers as possible and you could eventually sell your farm and live off the proceeds. And he says, why would I do that? And the missionary says, well, then you wouldn't have to do anything all day and you could just lie on the beach. And I think that's a really interesting anecdote, this idea of sort of putting off the pleasure we have now for some imaginary future where we're all going to be happy. If we just if we just work hard enough, then we'll be happy. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, think, I think we all know that that's sort of a, a fallacy, this idea of, well, I'll be happy when I'm 65 and I retire or, or whatever. And I think we know that that's like not a good way to live. But I just think it's very hard to escape it. That's a beautiful anecdote. Um, one quote I'd love to share. There's this quote yeah. from like this ancient Chinese text. Um, I can't pronounce it. Um, it's Z-H-U-A-N-G-Z-I. It's this um, Chinese book about like all these folk tales. Um, but they yeah. like have some real message behind them. Um, yeah. 
And when talking about life, it says, Life, then, is really a dream, and we human beings are like travelers floating down the eternal river of time, embarking at a certain point and disembarking again at another point, in order to make room for others wing below the river to come aboard. Half of the people of the life would be gone if we do not feel that life was either a dream or a voyage with transient travelers, or merely a stage in which the actors seldom realize they're playing their parts. You, you don't know the way that life flows by, um, and you can't just expect it to meet a certain point. You know what I mean? There is no, like, um, specific place you're going to. Um, you can't... It's just like a journey. It really is just a journey, and you've got to appreciate it along the way. Um, and wherever it leads you, the same place it's leading everyone. And I think that's part of what nostalgia sort of ties into is this idea of because you know what the past was like, it's easier to imagine living in it than it is the present. Because the present, you don't know if you're going to fuck it up. Mm-hmm. You don't know what, what's going to happen next. And, and living in the present really requires a lot of sort of self-analysis. But I think nostalgia, because of this like dreamlike quality to life, it sort of ends up being... It is like, you know, if you live in the past, mm-hmm. what you end up doing is sort of, it's like, I don't know, if you if you just let the dreams sort of fizzle out. And I think I think there's something about nostalgia that's very, very happy. But, like, have you seen Avatar The Last Airbender? Of course I've seen Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. Okay, you know that scene where, what's his name, where Uncle Iroh is, uh, is, is like having a funeral for his son? Um, hmm. I don't remember it. It's in Bossing, they're in Bossing Say, and he's singing this song called Leaves from the Vine. And he's, mm. he's, he's on the top of this hill alone. Oh. And this sort of, it's, it's like a deeply sad scene. Mm-hmm. And it's sad, it's partly sad because, you know, his son's died and, and it's, he's sort of at fault for it. But I think it's also sad because, there's this inevitable image of sort of this time that's you can't get back, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what what makes the future so scary is like, you know, you know you're not going to get this time back now. And so you're so afraid of wasting it. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Like, I feel like you're afraid one day you'll wake up, you're 40, and you'll know you all fifty years left in your life, and yeah, you know, or something. Fifty years is actually a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but <laughs> you'll look back and you'll be like, "Wow!" Like, sure, I have these memories and everything, but I'm just approaching this deadline. And also, just like the there's, I don't know. I feel like there's this idea that, like, when you're an adult that you're supposed to sort of be content with your life. Mm-hmm. And then this idea of, like, the midlife crisis. As, like, yeah. I don't know, if you have a midlife crisis, it's because you realize that you, you you fucked up. You didn't live the right way. And I think, like, as kids, we're sort of taught, like, oh, you don't want to have a midlife crisis. You want to get, you want to plan it all out now so that by the time you get to 40, you'll be very happy with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like the, But I think that's just so ridiculous because... The really only way to actually avoid a midlife crisis is to live 
your life before then as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But by the time you get to the middle of your life, you're not you're not suddenly thinking I have to do all my living right now. Yeah, you're thinking I need to. I, I you know. I can yeah. just keep going. I can be content. And I think what's so great about us doing this topic of childhood and the passage of time right now, I feel like, Miles, you and I are at a stage right now where we're at the last year of high school. We're beginning to look at colleges, like prepare, like think about what we might do in life. And what's so weird about this point in time is it's like one or two years and in the point we're supposed to decide something we'll like look into and probably like spend like what 20 years of our life working on maybe even more at least least. um and that's just like ridiculous to think about how you'll like devote so much time off of like some decision and you have to like figure out the right one you know i mean or like well actually i shouldn't say the right one because like that's a whole other discussion. You never know the path you don't take. It's one of my favorite sayings because you really never know. Like, right. you know, you, you can feel yeah. sorry for yourself. You didn't take opportunity, but you never know what it really would have been like. You could just be even worse. And I find it weird um, how you, like, have to plan out so much and, like, how much is decided, how much of your time will be taken up by, like, decisions over the next two years. No, you're so right. And I know people who are, like, I, I know people who are single and they're 38, or they, they want kids, but they they just turned 40. And it's like, I, I don't know, I feel such a deep, like, sadness for most people, because I think that the only thing you really can't get back is time, you know? Mm-hmm. You, can, you can really get any, pretty much anything else back. Yeah. Like time is sort of the only thing that you can't, you can't get back. And so for those people who, who sort of could have lived one way, but, but instead did something else and now they regret it. I think that's one of the most deeply sort of sad things. Yeah. Yeah. To some extent, I find that to be very true, but like with reincarnation, I'm not sure how you believe, um, I'm not sure your view on all that, but one thing I find beautiful about, like, the thought of reincarnation and all of that is, like, people cling on to, like, their one life, you know what I mean? You have your one life before you, you have to, like, do everything in it, and, like, afterwards it's gone, um, and I feel like in a lot of ways people are, like, your life is very important for sure. I feel like people can be very clingy about their lives, which might sound really weird for me to say. Um, and I'm not, like, speaking in, like, some weird way. Like, hold on to your lives. But um, I just mean, like, your people are so afraid about, like, their lo- me included, of your life, like, ending, um, that you take up so much time in your life, and you're going to reach a point eventually where you're dead. That's, like, inevitable. You know what I mean? You're going to die. Yeah. Um, and you spend so much time fearing about dying, at least if you're, like, anxious like me. Um, and if you think about it, like, wouldn't I enjoy my life more if I wasn't worrying about dying because I'm going to die anyways? The thing about being conscious is, like, you're stuck with knowing that you're going to die. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, analogy is if you go, like, let's say you go strolling in the park one day. Um, and then it's, like, a forecast for, like, a downpour. 
and you just keep like <laughs> you keep strolling along, but the whole day you're like, oh shit, oh shit, I should be prepared. Like the downpour is coming, the downpour is coming, and of course the downpour is coming, and like you can't do anything about it. You're out in the middle of the park, like thirty minutes away from your house. You're gonna get rained on eventually. Like there's no, no nothing you can do about it. Like, just enjoy the time and the sun you have before you get drenched. <laughs> I know that's not a no, perfect analogy. But <laughs> that's a, that's, that is the perfect analogy. I think you're right, though. And I do think, like, there's something really um, appealing about reincarnation. Because mm-hmm. it says that sort of what's value about life is not, like, it's not the material things in life, and yeah. which is obviously a central thing of Buddhism. But the things that you sort of that you that you really value mm-hmm. or that you should value are just the experiences of life you know it's, it's yeah. love or sadness or friendship or, or all these things mm-hmm. um or yeah I, I i i don't i wish that reincarnation were real yeah i do yeah um and the beauty of it is then you wouldn't have to like you know cling on to your one specific life each life each life is like a separate journey. In the text of reincarnation, each life is a different journey with different lessons that your soul goes upon in its long search for something. I'm not even sure what, maybe like peace, contentment, um, like coming coming to ease with the universe, I guess, um, could be something. Because that's like, in Buddhist views, like when you achieve nirvana is when you've reached enlightenment 